Pastor James, for the privilege of being here in your church and preaching. Wonderful privilege to preach the Word of God, you know that? I hope I never get blasé about that opportunity and the wonderful privilege to do it. I thought I'd just clarify the sermon yesterday morning. I don't know what medication Steve's on, but he should change it. I mentioned very briefly, in all that I said for hours and hours, Steve, I mentioned about the qualities that are needed for a pastor, and one of them was integrity. And I suggested to them that if you understand the word integrity, it's anonymous, one of the words that is associated with it is the word sincerity. And sincerity from the Latin word sincerus, and it means without wax. Listen carefully, Steve, you've got to get this one right. And I said to them in ancient days when, pot, days when potters made pottery or when they did some statues or something like that, if they ever had a crack in the finished product, they would get wax and cover the crack up and then just paint over it. So I don't know what impression you got from the subject, <laughs> but that's what it was. It means that sincerity is we don't have a wax over our life, but we're open and transparent. Is that good? Yes. Nothing like what Steve said, but there you go. <laughs> um, I don't want you announcing anything about my sermons, all right, mate. <laughs> Lovely to have my little wife with me. You don't know how wonderful it is because she's battling, or she has been battling a lot with asthma, and she's up and about and fighting fit, and I'm thanking God for that. How many of you reckon that's good? Last Sunday when I was leaving church, uh, I make a habit of always going to the back door and shaking hands with people. I shake hands and put my bats just in case they want it. And anyway, I shake hands and I said hello to this lady. Her name's not Mary. I said, g'day, Mary, how are you? I've been around in the church for a long time. And it was one of those times you wish you'd never asked the question, you know, how are you? And she just looked at me and... Uh, face went saddened, her eyes welled up and she said, I am just overwhelmed with anxiety. She said, I get anxieties that just weigh me down and all that. And, and I'm thinking to myself, this lady has been in the church a while and how many of you know that doesn't make any difference? We can still all be subject to those sort of things like anxiety and stress and depression. And this morning, what, a, what an incredible topic I've got for you this morning. It's not called depression. It's called transcending peace. I'm going to read from you in the scripture in a little while about God's promised us a peace that is absolutely supernatural. In fact, if you've got a King James, the word there, and uh, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Remember that? Yeah. The NIV, which I'll be reading from, will say transcending peace. Mental illness is a major issue in most Western countries and in Australia we have a percentage of 20% of people aged between the age of 16 and 85 experience mental illness in any one year. That's high, isn't it? Yeah. The most common uh, mental illnesses are depression, anxiety, substance use disorder and this number of 11.5% have one disorder some people have uh, a disorder of 8.5, have two or more disorders, not just one disorder, but two or more. Almost half, now I'm reading from statistics, not making these up, 
How many of you know pastors make a lot of statistics up because it's important to do that, but this is a real one. And almost 45% of Australians will experience a mental illness in their lifetime and 54% do not receive treatment. How many of you reckon that's serious? And it's not the sort of subject that I would choose to preach as my top of the list subject, but I thought, hey, I'd like to tell the church we have a great hope when facing the stresses of life and the pressures of life and one of the great things about Jesus Christ who is called the Prince of Peace. Yeah. How many of you know we don't have a peace that we hype up? We have a person called Jesus who is peace and we need to exercise our faith more often than we do in that particular area. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, so don't come with me at that door if I get down there. Don't come with me to all your psychological problems. He's your man. And if you're really desperate, he's your... No, no, no. He's your man. No, don't trust Steve. You don't know what he'll say about you when you've told him. I did, a, I did a unit at Alpha Cruces on psychology. I did two years on child psychology. So if you're a kid, I can help you. <laughs> the problem is not restricted to any one age group or ethnicity or geographical location. How many of you know stress and anxieties and depressions are for all people all over the world? 21st century living can be very stressful and in all age groups with multiple anxieties leading to depression. I was thinking about the youth. You know, the youth with their study, their exams, their relationship challenges, their employment uncertainty, peer group pressure, social media manipulation, the bullying. How many of you know a lot of those, we might say, oh, that, that's nothing. How many of you know if you're a young person, that's a big deal? That's a big deal. And then you come to young families. And the stress of no sleeps, changing nappies, School bullying, paying the mortgages, paying the car, just life so busy, taking the kids to sports, music, dancing less. How many of you know it's mad? My son, I think he spends half his life taking his kids either to a sport or to dancing or to some lesson that they're having and just life's a, a massive pressure. And then you get to middle-aged, Pastor, you and I are going to get there soon, adult children, and they had up children, they have some marriage problems, financial problems. If you've got any, Steve, go somewhere else because he's not going to help you. Security problems, <laughs> health problems. This goes into thousands and thousands of dollars. How many you know your kids cost you hundreds when they're kids? Yeah. When they get married, thousands. <laughs> Trade them in while you can, I say. And then we get to the aging, where you slow down where your back goes out more than you do. <laughs> when you write, light the candles on your birthday cake and the birthday cake weighs more than the candles. When you light the candles, the earth temperature rises by three degrees. <laughs> and when you finish up blowing the candles out, you need oxygen to recover <laughs> from that. When you sink your teeth into a steak and they stay there. How many of you know there's some of the <laughs> symptoms that you're getting old? So the growing uh, uncertainties of what's happening around us, that, you know, if you're fearful and anxious about the global wars and all that taking place, there is a word that psychiatrists have developed. It's called general anxiety disorder. And generally, worry 
hard to sleep, interference with concentration, study, families and friends, restless, tired, and causes great aches and pains. That's all psychosomatic. That's all from your thinking. Five major stress areas. Well, if you haven't been stressed, by the time I've finished, you'll know something to be stressed about. The loss of a loved one. How many of you reckon that's stressful? Two, they reckon that the loss of health, physical or psychological loss of health, divorce or family conflicts, loss of employment or financial loss, and, of course, even relocating can be a major stress factor on people's lives. When the angel of the Lord came to those shepherds on what we celebrate as Christmas, he said to those angels, Glory to God in the highest and peace to man on earth. How many of you know that's the announcement of Jesus Christ? And we are so delighted about that. Jesus said in John 14, 27, My peace I give to you. Please listen. I do not give you as the world gives you. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. How many of you know the peace that Jesus gives to people is not natural. It's supernatural. It's who he is. He says it's different to the world. He says this is me giving you his peace. This peace is not the absence of war conflict, stress, anxiety, or persecution. And if I could shout, I'd say it's not the absence of those, but it's a peace that transcends them. Come on. That's good. Christianity claims to offer peace to its followers. Our message is for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 4.17. So this morning I want to try and define, as simply as I can, what I mean by transcending peace. It's a mental, emotional, spiritual tranquility based on the understanding that our transcendent God is in total control of our lives and circumstances. How many of you reckon that's not a bad definition? What do you think, Steve? Don't care what you think. I went to my therapist and telling him about my problems with stress. And he said, in order to get over your stress, you need to, you need to resolve all the half things in your life. How many of you know that can be a big stress if you haven't quite finished things? So this morning before I came to church, I finished a half a blot of chocolate. I finished <laughs> half a pack of potato chips. I finished half a Coke, half a cake and half a tub of ice cream. How many of you know finishing things off helps you enormously? <laughs> That was a ridiculous joke in case you didn't get it. <laughs> this is not transcendental. You know, people hear the words that I use about transcending peace. They get mixed up with transcendent. It's not something you sit quietly and... Mm, and look, I'm not knocking that. Some people find it very peaceful to draw from their inner self. But let me tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a peace that doesn't come from you... It comes from God, the Holy Spirit. He imparts this special peace into your life. So my subject this morning is following Paul's five steps recommended to come into supernatural, transcendent peace. I'm reading from Philippians chapter 4. Now I've got five points, but relax. What I don't finish this morning, I might finish when I come back here in 10 years' time. <laughs> Or I might finish tonight, which might be a better thing. 
Please read with me. Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. (laughs) If you reckon these are hard words, aren't they? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. The word transcends theologically is a Greek word, echo, and it means to be above, beyond, independent of the universe, time, and particular in relation to God. He is the transcendent God. And when we look at it, this is a transcending God. He has no equal. He is higher than any. He is greater than any. He is superior to any other God. And this is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God. And we talk about a transcendent God. How many of you know he's not just a little bigger and better than us? He is transcendent. He's out of this world. His power is out of this world. Does that encourage you that you can draw from a source that is far greater than you and I? This is the mighty transcending God that brings to us his transcending peace. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 14, we read, There is no God like you in the heaven or on the earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. So, transcending peace is in a world of turmoil. Paul wrote this to the first century Christians. How many of you reckon it would be a tough gig to be a Christian in the first century? And if you don't, let me just remind you, our Christians in those early days was not conducive to harmonious relationships. They had these hostile religious control freaks. They were called scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and priests. And how many of you know they were always on the lookout to kill the Christians? And then we had this group of people called the Roman rules who persecuted, tortured, crucified, threw you to lions and just kill you for very little reason. How many of you reckon that's a tough gig? And this bloke there says, live in this transforming, transcending peace. So for you and me... How many of you reckon we got a little bit easier than the first century Christians? And Paul makes no apology. Let this supernatural peace be in your hearts. Transcendent peace is healthy for you. Stress affects every part of our lives. Dr. Charles Moyer from the Moyer Clinic, Mayer Clinic, I'm sorry, he wrote this. Worry and stress affect the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system, and profoundly affect the heart action. How many of you reckon transcendent peace is healthy for you? It's good. The Australian Psychological Society's Stress and Wellbeing Survey in 2011 has shown that young adults, 18 to 24, are the most stressed in the nation. I was surprised. How many of you guys are in that bracket, 18 to 24? See, I've got my hand. 18, (laughs) just two of us, three of us, that's, yeah. But apparently that's a a big age group that suffers from stress and anxiety, which is amazing. It went on to say in this survey, one in three Australians did not seek help to deal with stress. 40% turned to food and alcohol as their common de-stressing techniques, even though half of them knew that they didn't work. So we're a bright bunch, aren't we? Stress, anxiety, worry and depression equals loss of peace. 
we lose eight people a day to suicide. Most of them in the middle-aged men. Will you believe that? Middle-aged men. We held the world record for the most suicides with young men, 18 to 24. Boy, that's a challenge, Steve, isn't it? 18 to 24-year-olds, we were the highest in the world of kids committing suicide. Mental health is a major social problem in Australia. A major mental health issue such as schizophrenia, a chemical disorder, please hear me now, if you have a major physiological reason for your depression, get either a miracle from God or get help from your doctor. Some of you go, I thought you were a Pentecostal preacher. Yeah, I am. But I tell you, this is a sort of deal we've got to be fair income about. We've got to be real about it. And if it's overtaking your life, go and see somebody who can help you. Paul lays out five progressive steps that lead into this transcending peace. Well, we're just starting now. Are you ready? Yes. It won't be long and we'll soon be gone home. When I first read these verses, I thought how disjointed they sound. You know, it goes like, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be seen. God is near. And you think, what, what's that? But when you go through this, you'll see that it's one step onto the next that leads us into this position of enjoying transcending faith or peace. Point one. Have you got this? Write it down. A chosen disposition of rejoicing always. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It's a double emphasis. How many of you reckon that ought to get our attention? I deliberately chose the word disposition. I use the word disposition as opposed to a single choice to rejoice, because I'd like to suggest to us we need rejoicing to become habit-forming response to life. Let me say it again. A disposition is when it's an automatic response to our disposition in life, what's going on in our life. A world response to pressure and stress can be alcohol, drugs, anger, cursing, abusive language, violence, even murder. We choose rejoicing. How many reckon that's pretty contrary to the world system, isn't it? And rejoicing that is subject to choice, not to circumstances. Because if your rejoicing is only when it's circumstantially proper, how many of you reckon it'll be pretty limited? But if it's a choice you make about life to rejoice in the Lord, that can make an incredible difference to you and where you stand. The Bible continuously encourages us to have this joy and rejoicing. It's one of those factors that life comes across our path just like it does our neighbour. How many of you know because you're a Christian, you're not immune to life? I'd love to give you an opportunity to say that's the truth. We have some things that not even our neighbours have. But here's the great point that I would make to you. The Bible addresses that like in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. How many of you know this is getting harder as we go? Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. James in 1, 2, 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you, fall, when you face trials of many kinds, because it's working maturity in your life. Stop and look at this face for just a second. I never ask you to look at it long, but listen to this. 
The difficulties of your life are making you the men and women that God wants you to be. You are not accidents waiting to happen. You have a divine providential hand of God upon your life and some of the things that come across your path, the unfairness, the things that you think God could have done better with you than he has done and you're facing troubles. Would you hear me? This is what makes you the man or woman that you are. The tough things, rejoice when they come because you've got to say to yourself, God must be preparing me for something good. <laughs> to all parents, <laughs> I'm out of here tonight. How many of you know you do your kids no good by, by protecting them from things they need to stop doing? by saying no to some of the things that they are doing, that putting a discipline around them does them good. Yes, amen. <laughs> well, we'll move right on from that one really quickly. I'm convinced that if that's what God does to us, the perfect parent, how many of you reckon we ought to do to our kids? It doesn't mean we bring trouble across their path, but we do challenge them when they want to do everything they want to do, and we go, no. I want every parent to say this after me. No. no. <laughs> now, if you're into psychology, that's a negative work that destroys their self-image. If you read the Bible, it says it does the kid good. <laughs> Romans 5.13 says this, May the God of hope... Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. There'd be a sermon on its own there. Did you get it? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Our joy and our peace comes from hope in God. We trust in him. My daughter wanted to uh, start her own coffee shop business. And uh, she found this premises, signed a contract, and the person who she signed the contract supposedly with, after four months, still hadn't signed his side of the contract. So she said to the solicitor, tell him five o'clock next Tuesday, if he hasn't signed it, I'm backing out. And her solicitor said, well, you should be careful, like you've signed this. She said, I can't wait any longer. Well, we find out he couldn't wait for her not to sign he wanted to do something else with the business. Anyway, that's another story. So he went looking for another shop. It was bigger than this one, but it was more expensive. So she went looking for another one. Now, how do you know I'm a pastor and I'm a dad? And I say things like this to my kids, you know. If God closes one door, he's got something better. How many of you have tried that? How many of you actually believe that? So after the third shop... And the, the disappointments in the heart, I said, lovey, I don't know what's happening, but God must have something better. Yes. Now, I can't lie or exaggerate because my wife's here, but how many of you know she has a shop now that would be four times bigger than the first one and 25% cheaper, and it's on a main road, and it's next to a shopping centre where people can park so easily. I am of the conviction that sometimes when we think God's let us down and hasn't answered our prayer, he's actually got something better in mind. And rejoicing, listen to this, rejoicing is that ability that goes, God, it's not quite what I thought it would be, but I'm rejoicing in you because I know you've got something better for me. 
How many of you reckon Mary, I'm getting warmed up now. How many of you reckon Mary and Martha were really disappointed when Jesus didn't turn up? When they sent a text, they sent an email, they sent everything to him, get here quick, he's dying. Lazarus is dying. And Jesus deliberately delayed. Both these ladies independently said, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Remember that? Now you go, fair enough, ladies. I think that's a fair comment to make. If you'd have got here, he could have got him out of his sickbed. But how many of you know, oh boy, God had a better plan in mind. He wasn't just going to raise someone from a sickbed. He was going to raise someone from the dead. Can you believe with me this morning that this God that you love and you trust, this transcendent God that's over and above, superior to all of your circumstances, has got something that's best for you and you need to rejoice when you don't feel like it because you're expressing your belief in God. That is good preaching, mate. I've got to tell you, I haven't heard any better preaching than that since yesterday. When I preached on the subject of, forget it. (laughs) Developing a disposition of rejoicing, please listen to this, I don't want to get too tricky and confuse myself, but listen to me carefully, is a learned cognitive, 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 (laughs) it's a word I've got to learn, it's a learned cognitive mental process that is very much the product of a renewed mind. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we are told to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And please hear me, friends. If you keep thinking like you've always been thinking, how many of you know you're going to get the same results to your thinking? We have been challenged to be transformed by renewed thinking. And it's my understanding that if you've always been pessimistic in things that go wrong. How many of you know you've got to change positive pessimism to positive belief? Come on. You've got to, if you incline that way, make a deliberate mental change to make that difference. Be optimistic about what God's doing. I've got a great definition of optimism. If you want to write this down on someone's neck, it'll help you. <laughs> the definition of optimism is the Australian opening batsman going out with sunblock. I thought that was good, but never mind, here we go. Am I talking this morning morning about polyannerism, which is blind and excessive optimism? You know, some people... How many of you know we're not just like that? Our optimism is something based upon fact, based upon a person. In the novel by Eleanor Porter about a young orphan called Pollyanna who would play games called the glad game. An optimistic game she learned from her father that focused on finding something to be glad about, even in situations. For example, when expecting a doll for Christmas, she received only a pair of crutches. She decided to be glad she didn't need them. Have a think. She decided to be glad because she didn't need them. That's called polyannerism. I am not talking about polyannerism in today. I am talking about choosing to believe that God has got your life in his hands and you believe it's all going to work out life. 
I choose to rejoice in Christ's lordship over my life in spite of my circumstances. I choose to engage in rejoicing because of who is in charge of my life, not what is in charge of my life. Choosing to rejoice is a God's antidote to unrest, anxieties, overwhelms us and the pressure. Choosing to a disposition of rejoicing is the basis of laughter and joy and it's healthy. Psychologists and neuroscientists have coined a phrase called neuroplasticity. It's just like drinking at a fount of knowledge when I'm preaching, you know, like these <laughs> words just flow out, mate. You go, wow, where did he get them? I make them up, that's where you get them. <laughs> it's called neuroplasticity or brain plasticity. It's the brain's ability to form neural connections forming new pathways in the recovery of a person's life. Do you know, years ago, if you were a paraplegic, that was the end of it. Now, they get the person and they force them to move, mechanically make their joints move. Get this, that forcing the body, the limbs to move, puts a neuroplastic, a new pathway in their brain, and it's not long before they can walk. Please hear me. I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm just an ordinary, brilliant pastor. And this is what I'm saying to you. You and I can change by transforming the neuroplasticity of our thinking. If our physical body can be changed and our mind can be changed by activity, surely we can believe that if we start to put on what I'm talking today about, believing in this transcendent God, surely that can affect everything about our thinking and our belief about the outcome of our life. Choosing is a wonderful thing if you've got some basis of choice. As a business person, if you're facing difficulties, financial pressure, rejoice in what you have rather than getting depressed about what you don't have. You have some wonderful things to be rejoicing about. Let me give you 10. You ready? 10 things to rejoice about. One, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your faith is in an almighty God that never changes. Thirdly, your hope is in the name of the Lord and his unfailing word. Four, your troubles are temporary and seasonal. You said that this morning. Did you realize? You didn't, probably didn't realize, but I got it. We're in the season now. It's winter. How many of you know? Spring is coming. Actually, for us, it's spring's just, summer's gone and we're coming. But how many of you know, Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time for everything. And there are seasons for everything. And when you're going through a tough season, will you please keep this in mind? This is a season. It's not the rest of your life. It's for this period of time. And you know, I know not how long that season will go, but here's a great encouragement for transcendent peace. Well, God, I might be going through winter at the moment, but hallelujah, spring is coming. I reckon if I gave you opportunity, there'd be a lot of people here that say, I know exactly what you're talking about. I went through a divorce. I went through a, a bankruptcy. I went through incredible sickness, you know. But look at me now. 
I'm married, I've got 20 kids, I've got all the money in the world, I'm just going fantastic. That season's come, and another season's come upon me, that's a good season. How many of you can believe that God, the God that we serve, this transcendent God, is a God that takes us through all seasons? The fifth one, you focus on eternity in the midst of the temporal. What happens to you and I has more than just a temporal consequence and a temporal benefit. We have an eternal consequence, an eternal benefit. Oh, you love this one. You are dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're not just religious people. We don't just have all this garbage and garbage and garbage about religiosity. We have a person living within us called the Blessed Holy Spirit who brings Christ into focus, brings our life into his purpose. Do you believe that? Your circumstances are subject to Christ's lordship. Your positive overwhelm your negatives so you count your positive blessing. Come on. Oh, you know that bloke down the road, he's got two cars and he's got two homes and he, he's got this. How many of you know he might be the most miserable person in the earth? You may not have, you may not even have one home, but how many of you know you can have joy, you can have peace, you can have happiness, you can have satisfaction because your life is not fulfilled in things. It's found in a purpose. Nine. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How many of you reckon pull that one out many, many times, whatever's going wrong? And I love this one, Pastor, in Romans 8. All things work together for good to them that love God and according to his purposes. How many of you know there's 10 positive, physiological, psychological reasons to have a great hope in a great transcendent God who's got your life in the palm of his hand? A merry heart does you good like a medicine. Do you know joy and happiness boosts the immunity system, lowers the stress hormones, triggers the release of endorphins, relaxes the muscles. Many of you are enjoying that now. I can tell how relaxed you are by how your eyes are closing all the time. Helps prevent heart disease, eases anxiety and fears, relieves stress, enhances resilience, strengthens relationships, helps diffuse conflicts, and makes you a happier person. They're not my thoughts, they're the thoughts of a doctor. I went and heard a lecture when I was at Alpha Crucis, this guy, I don't know whether he still goes there, but he was saying, a little, a little exercise and a latte will get the endorphins going. Well, I forgot the first one, but I found coffee very, very helpful there. Pleasure and happiness. So many people seek pleasure to bring happiness. How many of you know pleasure will not bring you lasting happiness? There's something you need more than pleasure. You need a peace of heart, a peace of mind, and a faith in God. Paul clearly states rejoicing is a choice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. How many of you know, this is not a suggestion, this is a direction that he would like us to take. There's a doctor in America called, a doctor of psychology, Dr. Martin Segelman. He's a world-renowned professor of psychology. He's the founder and director of positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. I've read his book called Learned Optimism. And, and believe you me, what I am telling you this morning you would think he is plagiarized from the Bible. 
because he talks about you can control what you think is happening to your life. He would love to say, if I told him, why don't you say to them, rejoice in the Lord? Because this is the basic line of what this new positive psychology is all about, that we focus on the good things of our life, not the bad things of our life. He gives an example of two people that have worked together as accountants, uh, him and her, Jane and Mary. No, Jane and Jim. Yeah, better be Jane and Jim. Uh, Jane, when she got redundant, it never affected much of her life. You know, she kept meeting with her friends, loved her family, kept doing her exercise. Jim, however, quit exercising, quit social media, didn't talk to any, slumped in his back room, he just disappeared. Same problem, but different responses. And he's saying, because you make choices about what happens. Now, I'm taking him, I'm taking neuroplasticity and trying to apply it to a 21st century Christian mind. You have the ability to choose to rejoice in God. You have the ability to decide that God is greater than your problem. You have the ability to decide that whatever has happened to you is not going to affect the whole of your life, but you're going to keep it restricted. If you've lost your job, how many of you know that's not the end of the world? And that's the sort of thing that he is saying there. Okay, point number one, we're up to point number two, and we'll soon be home in bed, folks. I really got fascinated by this one. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Then he says, display a disposition of gentleness. Let your gentleness be evident to all, in verse 5. And I thought, well, what has gentleness got to do with transcendent peace? Other translations give you a little insight. One of them says forbearance or moderation. Or give proof to all of your curiosity. It's an expression of restrained passion and in particular in relation to anger. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ralph Stockman said this, nothing is as strong as gentleness not gentleness, and nothing is so gentle as real strength. One translation says this, have a disinclination to fight. How many of you know one of the criteria for a pastor, an elder, in 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 3, he has to be temperate and self-controlled, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but a, and not a striker, and not a violent man. How many of you know it's important that you have control of your temper? Yeah. If you want to live outside of, of this transcendent peace, how many of you know you've got to be able to control the temper of your life? Is there a person in this meeting this morning that can say, there's never an area in my life that I get angry? I can believe Pastor James might be able to put his hand up, except Michelle is here. But apart from that, he's, he's one of the few men that I reckon is just cool, isn't he? He's as cool as a cucumber. I didn't say you look like a cucumber. I said you're as cool as a cucumber. So Paul here is not, you know, promoting wimpy, easygoing, nothing people, but he's saying that it's so important to exercise gentleness. Ask Moses, how important is your gentleness, Moses? Because you remember he lost his nana when he, when he smote the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And that cost him an entrance into the promised land. And listen, listen, 
Every one of us attempted to lose your temper, and I know that some people have got the gift of provoking bad tempers, but how many of you understand road rage is not worth revenge? Don't let somebody else dictate your emotional response. Do you know what it's like to be driving along and some person sort of <clears throat> sticks inside of you or pulls up and you nearly crash into them and you want to get out or get your wife to go out and talk to him or something like that? How many of you know we've all had those situations you, you want to get back? Listen to me carefully. Let your temper, let your goodness... Let your light be submitted to Christ. Bring it under control. And this is what Val and I go like this. Oh, he must be in a hurry. He must be a very important person. <laughs> we just try and excuse what he's doing or she's doing there. But how many of you know, don't let them determine your response. Don't let them make your anger come up. For every 60 seconds you lose your temper, you lose a minute's peace. How about that one, mate? <laughs> so if you let that continue, how, how many of you know the lack of peace increases with your lack of wanting to see anger take place? Oh, gee, I'd love to give you thousands of examples in my life where that's got out of control. I reckon domestic violence would diminish dramatically if our gentleness was evident to all. Gentlemen and ladies... If our gentleness was evident to all, you may need professional help about the subject I'm talking about, but we choose to display a dis disposition of gentleness. It's cool to have a disposition of gentleness. I'm finishing. Three minutes to 11, you're saying we didn't think you would ever finish, mate. <laughs> but I have finished. Have you got the message? Rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because the transcendent God is totally in control of all of your life. Rejoice in the Lord always because the things that you're going through are difficult, but it's only for a season. Rejoice in the Lord always because you make a choice to line up with what God has got for you as the best in your life. Remember my daughter? Might not be the first thing you thought God should do, but it's the best thing. Mary and Martha, they thought Jesus should be there, but he had a better thing in mind. And would you keep this as the last point before we go home? Let your gentleness be seen. Choose to have a disposition of exercising control. Especially if you're in the workplace. How many of you know how to blow your testimony real quick? Isn't it? Just keep going off the handle and telling me you're a Christian. Well, if that's a Christian, thanks. But how many of you know being the person that God wants you to be will be a great reflection? Let's pray, shall we? Imagine if I did all those five today. You would be fading away in the background. <laughs> I do want you to come tonight because the other three are very, very important because it, it leads up to this point of transcendent peace. Father, I pray for every person in this meeting. I pray first of all, Lord, um, 
for any person who doesn't understand your transcendent peace because they've never found you as a person in their life, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you please open their hearts and their minds to receive the truth of who you are. I'm asking in the name of Jesus, for those who don't know you, may they come to know you, whom to know is life eternal. Heads about, and I give you the respect of privacy, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you don't understand transcendent peace. And I'd love to give you the opportunity to go, Jesus, I don't know everything this man's talking about, but I know I need your love, your life, and your peace in my heart. And I'm just lifting my hand up and saying, would you please pray for me? Because that's what I'm looking for. I want that peace you were talking about today. And I'm raising my hand and saying, please pray for me. I need that peace. That's, it's beyond understanding. It's supernatural. Please pray for me. I'd love to pray for you. If you've never done that before, let me give you the opportunity of finding Jesus, the Prince of Peace, in your own heart. I will take it that all of you know the Lord and that's a wonderful thing. So can I give you my second appeal? For those of you who are Christians here this morning and you know what I'm saying is your life, the anxieties, the fears, the tendency to depression, it's getting too much and you just need a sense of God's presence in a new way. You just need that anointing of God to come and break the fear, break the anxiety, Break that sense that things are not going to good and you need that sense that God is in charge and he's a good God. Could you just slip your hand up where you are and I'm going to pray for you that God's peace will be upon you. Amen. Number of people, keep your hand up because Jesus needs to see it. Father, I pray for my friends that have lifted their hands before you and I ask in the name of Jesus that upon those that have lifted their hand, may there come the peace that passes all understanding into their hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Handing over to Pastor, I'm going to be sitting down here uh, when the meeting's finished. Those of you lifted your hand, if you'd like prayer, I would love to pray with you after the service. Thank you. <laughs>